Are we over it yet? Are we over this notion that the NFL is not producing a quality product? That week in, week out, we're treated to bad football? I've heard that analysis perpetually this season to help explain why ratings are down. and It's not true. Again, last night, Thursday night football. Thursday night has been notoriously the least quality version of the NFL product. And yet, and yet, it was a great game. Really enjoyed it. Now, I didn't actually watch it because I don't watch the games because I don't want to become biased because I've seen some plays and haven't seen others. I don't want the splash plays that I am privy to to skew my perception of those players. So I do not watch the games specifically to ensure that I'm as unbiased as possible. Though I would admit that if Jeff Janis were to score a touchdown, I would go watch the highlight. And I did go watch the highlight of Jarek McKinnon's 50-yard run. In fact, I was refreshing on NFL.com so I could see the run. I'll admit that. Happy to admit bias with Jarek McKinnon and Jeff Janis because I am already out in the open as a truther of those two players. But this is a quality product that the NFL has been rolling out this season. Because the preseason is not taken seriously by NFL teams, they play their starters less than 60 minutes total. The first couple games of the season are essentially a dress rehearsal. The players are clearly rusty, but since week three, we've been traded to quality football every week, and now we're getting quality Thursday night games. That's impressive. That was my big takeaway from last night. Wow. The other big takeaway is... You want pieces of this Eagles offense, even though the Eagles passing game has a brutal schedule the rest of the way, as does every NFC East offense, because they face the AFC West and the NFC West. (laughs) Those are not the divisions you want to face if you're a quarterback or you're a wide receiver. No, but the Eagles are overcoming it. Why? Why? Analytics. That's why. The Eagles are winning games. By the widest margin, when you look at game scripts, go to playerprofiler.com, go to any running back, go to LeGarrette Blunt, scroll down. There is a field called game script, and the Eagles are number one. In any given minute of the game, the Eagles are leading by more points than any other team in the NFL. That's what that means. And typically, the running game benefits from positive game script because the running backs are afforded huge volume in the second half to salt away leads and milk the clock. You want running backs getting positive game script. You want quarterbacks getting negative game script because that means they'll be in comeback mode in the second half. This is true generally speaking, but it's not true with teams that understand analytics. And because they understand analytics, they know that at no point in the game is it optimal to employ a run-heavy approach. It's never the way to go. The notion of salting away a lead and milking the clock with a running game is a false notion because the clock runs on a completed pass too, right? And pass plays are significantly more efficient than run plays. So just keep throwing. And that's what the Eagles are doing. They're throwing in the face of a game script headwind. That is incredibly encouraging if your quarterback in fantasy football is Carson Wentz. I mean, Carson Wentz is ascending right now, and he's ascending in the face of a positive game script headwind, which makes it all the more impressive. The Eagles are in the top half of the NFL in pass plays called, despite being number one in game script. Wow. 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 We did not think Carson Wentz was an attractive prospect coming out of North Dakota State because he was an old, inefficient thrower 
from a small conference. How does that equate to NFL success? Shoulder shrug. But here he is, defying the odds. And you go to playerprofiler.com's dynasty rankings, and there he is, rising up those rankings now in the top 10. But he's not a top five dynasty quarterback. Get out of here with that. I'm incredibly impressed with Carson Wentz. But to put him in the top five dynasty quarterbacks would mean that he's ahead of Aaron Rodgers, Marcus Mariota, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Cam Newton. No, 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 no. Those quarterbacks all have at least five years of quality production left, which is as far out as you want to look in Dynasty. So, And they have established track records posting copious fantasy points and doing it efficiently for multiple seasons. Carson Wentz has yet to join that group, but once he proves he can do that, he will join that group. But we still have him behind the Derek Carrs and the Andrew Locks. And of course, of course, he's behind Deshaun Watson, who has been equally impressive and is three years younger than Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz is almost two years older than Jared Goff. Carson Wentz is older than Marcus Mariota. He's older than Jameis Winston. That's the other component of the Carson Wentz profile that mutes his dynasty stock. But if he continues to play like he's been playing against quality opponents going to continue to rise as he continues to prove it on the field. I just wish I owned him in more leagues. I owned Carson Wentz in a two-quarterback league, which was great, right? And I love that team. I had such a deep team, super deep, stockpiled with players with quality profiles on playerprofiler.com. But it was a 10-team league, and the commissioner opted to expand the league, and he implemented rules that specifically punished my team, forcing me to throw... Adam Thielen and others back into the player pool or trade them for 10 cents on the dollar because every other team knew, oh, 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 Matt Kelly's team is the whale here. And we can just all circle the whale and nibble off the crumbs coming off the whale. And it was heartbreaking. Arbitrary rule that you could only carry three quarterbacks. At one point in time, I had six quality quarterbacks (laughs) on that roster. And because I was the only team with multiple quarterbacks above the threshold, everyone knew I had to trade them away and refused to offer me fair value. So I was nickel and diamond getting Duke Johnson for a young quarterback in a two-quarterback league. God damn it! I'll never forgive the commissioner for doing that because I believe the rules were specifically architected to punish my team, to let the rest of the league feed on my player evaluation skills. So I had to make tough choices, and letting Carson Wentz go was one of them. And now we see Carson Wentz excelling in the face of game situation headwinds. Now, you can go to Carson Wentz's profile on playerprofiler.com, and you're going to see a lot of cool new fields from money throws to interceptable passes, danger plays. Carson Wentz is number two in the NFL in danger plays with 19 because he's just a swashbuckler out there. He's the NFL's next incarnation gunslinger. And that's what you want in fantasy football. You want the gunslinger archetype. There are so few gunslingers left in the NFL. The fact that we have a new 24-year-old gunslinger posting 20 fantasy points a game is very exciting. But you won't find the game script metric on the Carson Wentz profile, only on the LeGarrette Blunt profile, because we just we ran out of room. So many cool metrics. We couldn't put them all on every player page. But that's why we have data analysis. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, and there you can download the game script values across all positions. It's the way to go. And we just lowered the price 
25%. So you can check out data analysis for the remainder of the season at a reduced cost. If you're a fan of this show, you're a fan of advanced metrics, you should go get data analysis. And if you already have the rankings, which I'm sure you do, who doesn't? Just email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com, and I'll happily upgrade you. And if you're going to the rankings to see where I have Darren McFadden versus Alfred Morris, don't bother, because I'm not assuming anything. Anyone that's assuming a number of games missed for Ezekiel Elliott is doing it wrong. We don't know what's going to happen. They have a buy. We have the luxury of waiting and seeing how this situation plays out in the weeks ahead before adjusting the rankings. However, if Ezekiel Elliott is finally suspended after this protracted legal battle, then I want Darren McFadden and I have no use for Alfred Morris. Get out of here with Alfred Morris. The only reason Alfred Morris is higher than Darren McFadden on the official depth chart is because Alfred Morris has some special teams value. They play Alfred Morris on special teams because he's imminently expendable in a way that Darren McFadden is not. Darren McFadden has an all-purpose skill set. He's great on passing downs in particular. He's no longer the explosive runner between the tackles. He's never been that elusive, but he's always been an efficient receiver out of the backfield. And because of that, he has significantly more fantasy value than Alfred Morris. I also believe that if Ezekiel Elliott is suspended and Darren McFadden is activated on game day, he quickly supplants Alfred Morris at the top of that depth chart and seizes a 60 to 70% opportunity share. He becomes a flex option in fantasy football, but not someone I'm starting over quality players. Why? Because the Dallas Cowboys do not offer fantasy footballers that high ceiling situation that we enjoyed in years past. Why? Because the offensive line has collapsed. It's one of the best, worst-kept secrets in the NFL. The Dallas Cowboys offensive line's no good. They're bottom 10 in both protection rate for Dak Prescott and run-blocking efficiency. And those metrics are available on playerprofiler.com player pages. Check them out. So we know Darren McFadden has very little juice left. And if you have very little juice left running behind a poor run-blocking unit, you're not a player that anyone should be bending their will to acquire in fantasy football. You're a flex option. As a starter who's active in the passing game, you have a 10-point floor. You're a flex option, but you're not one of these matchup winning backs. That's just not what Darren McFadden is in the context of the Dallas Cowboys offense as it is currently constituted. This isn't the 2015 Dallas Cowboys offensive line. It's just not. I don't know why, but they're not blocking people. I mean, that's just it. The Cowboys are blocking people according to the numbers, period. That's all you need to know. So I am ignoring the Dallas Cowboys backup running backs until further notice. With the exception of Rod Smith, I'm stashing Rod Smith in dynasty leagues because he would be the number three option and an injury away from having some relevance in deeper leagues. So the name to know on the Dallas Cowboys, who is free in all formats, is Rod Smith. He also has the most juice of those three running backs. Now the player with the most juice, whose role continues to expand and no one is talking about, is Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is my number one breakout candidate at the running back position for the rest of the season. Look at his opportunity share since the Cincinnati Bengals installed Bill Lazor as their offensive coordinator. He's received more than 50% of the snaps, more than 65% of the running back carries, and more than 60% of the opportunity share. And when the Bengals get down inside the scoring zone... 
they're handing the ball off to Joe Mixon, not Jeremy Hill. And I want to talk to my friend Rich Rebar about Joe Mixon. See if he agrees with me that Joe Mixon is the best RB breakout candidate that is currently flying under the radar in the NFL. Because I love Joe Mixon's talent profile. As a runner, he looks like Ezekiel Elliott. And as a receiver, he looks like Le'Veon Bell. Anytime you weigh 228 pounds and you run a 4-5 flat while also commanding a 12% college target share, you're in rare company. The big fast back that's also a target magnet in the passing game, Joe Mixon is a unicorn running back, and he's been widely dismissed in seasonal leagues. Certainly the dynasty leaguers know what Joe Mixon is. Most redrafters do not. So if there is one specific piece of advice I would give, one tactic, be go out and try to trade for Joe Mixon right now. Or just set up a weekly fantasy league on draft. You can set up week-to-week leagues on draft. You and 11 of your friends can set up a league on draft. Go to playdraft.com or just type in draft in your app store on your mobile phone and get draft. Invite 11 of your friends to draft every week. Each of you can have a brand new team every week and compete. Think about that. Think about the possibilities of that. Think about how fun that is. I'm now a compulsive draft player because I get to refresh my roster every week with a brand new set of guys that I love, particularly that week. Joe Mixon, undervalued rest of season and this week. Now you're not playing Joe Mixon on draft heading into a bye, of course. So when you're creating your roster, a unique roster in the world of daily fantasy sports to compete against your friends, make sure you're drafting Mark Ingram this week. If you can't get Joe Mixon, he's on a bye. Make sure you get Mark Ingram. We should ask Rich Rebar about Mark Ingram as well. Who would he rather have for the rest of the season, Mark Ingram or Alvin Kamara? I can't wait to hear from Rich. But before we talk to him, just make sure you go to your app store, download Draft, and when you do, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get free entry into your first contest with a deposit of $10 or more. Okay, now, 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 we get to talk to Rich Rebar from Roto World. Follow him at Lord Reeves on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Ha 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 ha! Lord Reeves, Rich Rebar from Roto World, returning to the Underworld Pod. Victorious post, Aaron Jones breakout. Rich Rebar, talk to me. Matt, what's going on, man? It's been a while. You know, I think we got together, I want to say like in February was the last time we talked. And, yes. you know, we talked about it. We did talk about Aaron Jones in February as well on that podcast. We did. And uh, the inevitable demise of Paul Perkins. We did, yes. Paul Perkins is missionary sex, and missionary sex is Paul Perkins. And Aaron Jones is one of the most impressive prospects in this running back class. And sure enough, Aaron Jones was one of the most impressive prospects in this class. As it turns out, Lord Reeves was right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were on that train. But yeah, week six, man, we're already going in a third of the way through the season, which is pretty unbelievable. And, you know, uh, we've got another uh, we did last time on the show, too. We talked about take lock and we've got some take lock rejuvenation. Devin Funches is out here, you know, as a locked in wide receiver, too, now after people were throwing dirt on his grave after two seasons of not really getting playing time. He has the most touchdowns now tied for Amari Cooper with the most touchdowns of that wide receiver class now. Uh, you know, in his NFL careers. Wow, really? More than Stephon Diggs? Yeah. Uh, so, yep. 
Wow, look at you, Devin Funches. Look at you. JJ Nelson's third. Wow, you are the first analyst to ever come on this show and usurp me by giving a take before I asked a question. Like, <laughs> I'm still in the cage trying to adjust my hand to get on the rodeo bull, putting the rope over the rope and over the rope again and over the rope again, tightening and over the rope and tightening. And then, and then boom, the gate has swung open and I wasn't even ready. My grip was not fully locked in and all of a sudden I'm riding the Lord Reeb's stat bull and already I'm on the ground. I'm already on the ground, faces in the ground, and the rodeo clowns are escorting me behind one of those barrels because I don't know what just happened. I hadn't <laughs> even started asking questions, and you just, bam. We didn't even talk about it. Nelson Aguilar scoring touchdowns too, man. You're bucking me off with great stats, and I love it. I love it. Man, like I said, take lock Nelson Aguilar is back. He's putting dudes in a he's putting ankles and body bags, uh, you know, on touchdowns. Buddha Baker's ankles, RIP. Uh, you know, he's already got three <laughs> touchdowns on the year. He scored in three of the five games. So I mean he's taking a little advantage of Alshon having some tough matchups to start the year. But you know, like I said, listen, take lock, man. Take lock's a thing. You know, you gotta give people a chance. And we're gonna talk about some of those guys today that have gotten chances that people may have been buried. 2015 wide receiver class is not dead yet. Devin Funches <laughs> is here. Nelson Aguilar has risen from the dead. Literally was in a coffin. Dirt was scooped and spread over the top of the coffin, and he's back. And he looks good. He looks great. Doyle Green Beckham is serving Szechuan yeah. sauce to Rick and Morty fans. Doriel Green Beckham's never coming back. <laughs> that, that hand will never strike up through the turf fist-like. That's never going to happen with Doriel Green Beckham. I think we can agree. You think of these guys are like that, uh, like Uma Thurman in the Kill Bill scene, where they're just you know punching that coffin, you know, slowly, slowly inching it. You know, the, you know, the, the from the pie may throwback, you know, bringing it all the full, full. Uh, full circle here and breaking out of the grave. That's kind of what Funches has done. Listen, man, Funches is balling too. Like, and I mean, he looks great doing it. I mean, he looks the part of a true number one X receiver in the NFL. And I am already thinking about show titles. So I already have Nelson Aguilar kill bill or Nelson Aguilar, uh, you know, coffin killer or coffin escape. I think Nelson Aguilar coffin escape is first in the clubhouse, but we have a long way to go. A lot of questions for Lord Reeves. Let's not roll. Let's not put anything in ink here. That's the first candidate for the show title, Nelson Aguilar coffin escape. And I like it. I mean, I really love that show title, but we have a long way to go. We have to talk about Aaron Jones. Is he a real threat to Ty Montgomery? I mean, sure he is in, in a sense. I mean, yeah. I don't believe he can totally relegate Montgomery because Montgomery has like legit satellite back features. Uh, but Montgomery wasn't really playing well prior to injury and was also playing an obscene amount of snaps, which only heightened his risk for injury. And it happened. I mean, luckily, only in a minor capacity. He's he's going to be back either this week or next week. I mean, ribs are ba basically like a two week two to three week thing right. but i mean first the snaps and usage i mean over the opening three weeks montgomery played 90 86 and 93 percent of the team snaps he had 18 of the 20 running back receptions 41 of the 46 running back rushing attempts for the packers he was very unlikely to survive that workload because it was david johnson Le'Veon bell level workloads and oh yeah those guys have also gotten hurt multiple times over the past two years with the those types of workloads and they had a history of absorbing 
massive running back touches throughout their career. Ty Montgomery's a converted wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he's never had that type of you know punishment week to week in recovery time. And he wasn't really effective on those massive opportunities outside of just, you know, compiling strong fantasy lines through the opportunity that he had. I mean, he had just 15 runs of five or more yards, just one run of 10 or more yards on those 46 carries. Just last week, Aaron Jones had 11 runs of five or more yards and six of 10 or more yards on just 19 carries in that game. I mean, now we already know that, you know, Monty has legit splash play upside because those explosive run rates are far below where he was producing last year. Yeah, he was number one last year in splash plays per touch. I mean, so as a fellow Aaron Jones hive mate, I mean, what if... Aaron Jones potentially makes Ty Montgomery a better and more efficient player now. Well, he will. I think the Packers know how to deploy two running backs successfully. They've done it for many years with Eddie Lacy and James Starks. I mean, this is how they typically operate. It's how most NFL teams typically operate, deploying multiple running backs based on the situation. They just didn't know what they had in Aaron Jones. Now that they know what they have in Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones isn't going away. Aaron Jones is going to get a 30% opportunity share moving forward. And Ty Montgomery will revert back into that primary back role. There's no way that Green Bay Packers are going to install Aaron Jones as the primary back after just one or two successful weeks. The Green Bay Packers are not good at self-scouting, so they won't do it. And every team is risk-averse to a fault. So for multiple reasons, there's no way a team is going to make a change like that that quickly. So Ty Montgomery will be back. I just don't think his upside is what it was because of the presence of Aaron Jones. And I think that in that offense, you could have two running backs be fantasy viable. I'm not heartbroken over the situation. I'm just happy more from a pure football sense that the Green Bay Packers have two quality running backs and that offense will be even better because of it. And they'll have a more optimal talent configuration from one play to the next. And if you're interested in watching good football, then that's a good thing. But if you were hoping that Ty Montgomery would be a league winner for you this year, as I was hopeful, well, that's not going to happen. Part of the reason is because he's hurt now and he's not helping you right now. Didn't help you last week, likely won't help you this week. And the presence of Aaron Jones will throttle his output moving forward. We love Ty Montgomery, but we cannot be emotional. We're fantasy analysts here. We're trying to be clinical, analyzing the situation and forecasting what we think will happen based on the past and based on what we saw last week from Aaron Jones. And that's just our clinical analysis. And I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, and you nailed it. I mean, the Packers have shown their hand in, as the way they, when rookies have popped, you know, in the past. Hell, they did it with, I mean, he wasn't a rookie last year, even with Montgomery himself last year. Right. They were slow to the role here. And, and, and guys that perform, they always kind of revert back to what they know. The offensive line is going to get healthier. It's been it's been really trash all year long. They really haven't even tried to run the football except for last week. I mean, yeah, I know it was the, the Cowboys. Um, but, I mean, like I said, the offensive line is going to get better. Uh, you know, they're going to use Montgomery in the pass game a little more than they will Jones. I mean, Jones only had one catch last week. I mean, we know that that's basically going to be Montgomery's usage. But yeah, like you said, I mean, we had a safety net of of volume and opportunity for Montgomery that was on elite levels, which no matter how you slice it is compromised now. And if you're going to really bank on efficiency, that's working backwards. 
Don't do it. Yep, you can't. I mean, we might have an Amir Abdullah, Theo Riddick situation where Ty Montgomery is actually Theo Riddick and Aaron Jones is Amir Abdullah. I mean, that could happen if the Packers decide to ramp up Aaron Jones' usage and keep it at a fairly high level. What would ultimately happen in that case is that Ty Montgomery would still get the passing down work. And then we would have basically a situation where we would be able to answer that hypothetical, what if Amir Abdullah and Theo Riddick were on a better, more efficient offense with a better running game? Well, that's what we would get to see in the form of Aaron Jones and Tom Montgomery if they decided to flip the usage 60-40 in Aaron Jones' favor, but they're not going to do that. So No, I mean, the biggest thing if you were on, if you were part of Aaron Jones' hive and he was a guy that you like is that he had an opportunity and his first test, he passed the flying colors, but more than more than imaginable. He won you a matchup. He probably won you a matchup. And what else did you want? A win in fantasy football when we have like 12 regular season weeks before the playoffs? One win is huge. For a guy you took in the third round. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's already done his job. Everything else is gravy. Yeah, for a guy you took in the third round of your rookie draft, you know, to get you a win five weeks into the season uh, of his rookie year. I mean, that's a that's already an ultimate victory for your investment. Yeah, victory lap time for Aaron Jones, dynasty owners, absolutely. Now, what about Jarek McKinnon? Is he for real? I mean, yeah, this was all right. Let's lay this all out here because you probably have been itching. You, I don't know if you have you done Jarek McKinnon takes since Sunday or Monday night or no on on podcast video. I have not. I've been celebrating Jarek McKinnon, and I don't want to hear anyone speak badly about him until today. <laughs> All right. Three days have ticked by, and I feel like I am now hardened to any Jarek McKinnon criticism. I can take it, Rich. I can take it. Let me have it. I will not hold this against you. Just let me have it. I want the truth. We talked about clinical analysis, unemotional. Let me have it. Well, listen, I mean, the world definitely doesn't need either of us to lay out another McKinnon talent athleticism opportunity take. So, I mean, we can definitely spare them for that. I mean, especially, you know, your listeners are well aware of the situation and they were on it ahead of time. And, you know, hopefully Yahoo listeners were on it ahead of time because you laid that out as well. They're all on it. The beauty of having me on Yahoo is that the contrarian takes that typically are only witnessed in an underground environment were available to the mainstream. That was cool. Yeah, so let's 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 uh, long form work through this. So it's hard to bank on a sixty yard touchdown run inflating to- total yardage, but we know that's the type of electricity that he can provide to creating his own ceiling. Uh, and we can probably still suggest that he won't get goal line opportunities if and when they do appear. Uh, but he did look on another plane of existence than Latavius Murray on Monday night. The offense did when he came in the game. Murray also has self-diagnosed that his ankle isn't healthy. So the human being with the hurt ankle is telling you that his ankle still hurt, um, which is obviously, you know, problematic for banking in, you know, uh, Latavius Murray. I kind of say, like, best case scenario, he's probably Minnesota Jonathan Stewart. It's your best case scenario. Um, but rushing aside... Uh, McKinnon's usage in the passing game last week and his reception floor is very real. He now has 41 receptions over his past nine games in which he's placed at least 40% of the team snaps. We're talking legit 70 catch pacing over a half season's worth of work while in a timeshare for all of those weeks. So, I mean, uh, you know, first, like, so that is, you're getting a Chris Thompson, you know, Duke Johnson X type guy 
uh, already without even factoring any of the rushing, whatever you whatever you want to add on, sprinkle in there. Um, if you think that those 16 carries weren't real or whatever or not, it doesn't matter. That's what you're getting. Already useful for fantasy guy you picked up off the waiver wires. So as it pertains to McKinnon himself, who has had, you know, a contingency now for years, you know, th- through yourself and myself. And, I mean, how can anyone still really hate on a guy that never cost a damn thing? In rookie drafts, he cost a third or fourth round pick, which inherently has a low success rate. In 2016, when he got his opportunity in tanks for fantasy, he had an ADP of 156 overall, a 12th round pick. Right. Inherently came with low odds of success. And if it hurts you, who gave a shit? Uh, this season, he cost you a waiver wire claim or fab dollars. And if you got in last week, it was the lower end of both. Um, if he continues, if he continued to be fantasy fool's gold, uh, what the fuck did you continually put in the pot on Jarek McKinnon? It's a free roll. Jarek McKinnon has been a free roll for years, and we finally hit. Just enjoy it. Stop complaining and stop calling him Kristen Michael because Kristen Michael was hella expensive in Dynasty Leagues. Always. For years, Jarek McKinnon was never expensive in Dynasty Leagues or Redraft Leagues or any format. So get out of here calling him Kristen Michael. We knew Kristen Michael couldn't play because Kristen Michael had four years of opportunities to show he could play football at Texas A&M, and he failed each and every year. Jarek McKinnon never had those opportunities because he played quarterback in college. We played quarterback, then quarterback. So much more ambiguous prospect. And so you needed to give him the benefit of the doubt that you did not afford to Kristen Michael. Yet it was flipped. Kristen Michael was afforded the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because of the draft capital and because he was on a team with Russell Wilson. So that wallpaper over a lot of technical problems with a player's running style, potentially. Nonsense. Kristen Michael can't play. Jarek McKinnon, as it turns out, can play. Because the next-gen stats I'm reading say that, oh, he's not very elusive, right? He's not very elusive. That was one game where his elusiveness in space was near the bottom of the league, and yet he made up for it with a 50-yard touchdown run, so it ended up not mattering. But if we zoom out and we ask the question, is Jarek McKinnon elusive? The answer is definitively yes, because last year, in a situation where he had no running lanes, he was still breaking tackles at a 26% rate. So on a per-touch basis, 26.2% juke rate on playerprofiler.com, 3.5 evaded tackles per game. And in those few games he was healthy, particularly at the end of the season, Six evaded tackles, four evaded tackles, and then he finished out the season against Chicago with nine evaded tackles, 110 total yards, and two touchdowns. So he was absolutely elusive. You can lay numerous critiques on the doorstep of Jarek McKinnon, that he's not big enough, that he's not instinctual enough. Those are all true. He's not a bell cow back in a traditional sense, but he is a satellite back plus, as you mentioned. And that gives him a really nice floor. And because he's so explosive, he has a great ceiling too. And that's just a player we should celebrate and enjoy. Yeah. So I mean, that that yeah, that take the the closing remarks there. What real? It's the real dilemma people are having. And here's kind of where I have a real beef with the fantasy community on guys like McKinnon, or inversely, like anyone you know, left for dead. I mean, I'm someone who wants as many functional assets we can possibly have in the player pool. Give us as many usable bodies, please. I mean, I genuinely want Adrian Peterson to do well in Arizona, even though I think the odds are low. If Adrian Peterson's good, it helps. It helps everyone if he's good. That would be a great story. Why not? Yeah. But there's a pocket of people who only care 
uh, about what a few voices are going to tweet about, about when these types of guys play well. It doesn't even really have to be an athletic uh, athletic archetype push either. It can be just like really any form of scoreboarding. And to a degree, we're, we're doing a little bit of it here. Uh, I mean, but imagine being a guy who doesn't want a player to do well simply because someone's going to tweet about it or say that they nailed it. Like, let that run its course through your brain. Imagine caring about a dude's uh, like hearts or retweets. Like, who gives a shit? It's also football. This is sports. This is entertainment. This is something that's meant to be celebrated, not to be derided, not to wave this wand of negative sentiment, like a fog over everyone's fun. I mean, this is a game where our success rate resembles, you know, DeAndre Jordan shooting jumpers. Our forecasting lives are filled with misery. In a game littered with misses, I mean, you're damn right you should feel good about when your picks do well. I mean, we all celebrated a little differently, but I have no issues with people, you know, calling back to their scoreboard as long as they're not doing it at the expense of other people. I mean, will McKinnon himself change your fantasy season? I mean, after one game, like, we don't need to jump to any extremes, but I, I know that he didn't cost you anything, and I know that uh, I sure as hell don't care if the points I'm scoring in fantasy come attached to someone else claiming they called him coming first because they still count the same when I go to my fantasy live scoring or that I look at the results. I mean, that shouldn't be uh, a reason you don't want someone to succeed because you don't want another analyst to succeed. Enjoy, players. What if Jamal Charles breaks out this week? That would be great. A long Jamal Charles touchdown run, a 50-yarder? That would be amazing. I would love to see that. Just cheer for great performances. And if a player performs badly or if a player's tanking, we can talk about it. And we'll talk about Amari Cooper in a little bit. We can wallow in it a little bit. But you're better off just moving on and chalking up those games as losses, empathizing with the player, trying to understand why they failed and understanding that they feel a hell of a lot worse about it than you do and moving on and focus your energy on the positive events on the football field. Like Duke Johnson. Duke Johnson is another player that should be celebrated. Is Duke Johnson the new Chris Thompson who took over the mantle from Tariq Cohen? Yeah, for sure. Just as uh, we knew Thompson's early season production, you know, at least to the levels of RB1 output that he was having was totally uh, unsustainable for his workload. I mean, Thompson was averaging 17 percent of the team touches through three weeks, uh, but had turned in RB13, RB5 and RB3 weeks because he scored four touchdowns or 27 touches had touchdowns of 29 yards, 61 yards and 22 yards. And he had another reception of 74 yards uh, peppered in there in week four in week four. You know what the percentage of Washington touches Thompson had after having 17% through three weeks, seven, 17% again, guess what he was the RB 55. Now, 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 Duke Johnson is the RB4 over the past three weeks on wow. just 21.7% of the Cleveland touches. He scored once every 10 touches. That's efficiency, baby. RB efficiency. You love that. You'll love to see that, but it's not Ooh. sustainable. Yeah, he scored He scored a touchdown now in three straight games after scoring three touchdowns in his first 34 games and 300 touches. Uh, his past two games, he scored a touchdown under the two-minute warning with Cleveland chasing multiple touchdowns. Uh, those things are not sustainable. So he also takes a ding now with the new Geno Smith going to the bench as uh, Kevin Hogan is more apt to you know Ooh. use his legs than, than uh, Deshaun Kaiser is. Uh, I'm also excited for Kevin Hogan. I think he could be like a Tyler Thigpenish type fantasy option. 
Stanford University's Kevin Hogan, who owned a 90.0 college QBR. Kevin Hogan. He ran for 100 yards in a game last year. Was an efficient college quarterback, man. He could run and throw. Great completion percentage. And the QBR metric rewards quarterbacks that can run for first downs. And Hogan has a knack for that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when we look at Thompson and, and Duke Johnson, though, and we we say that what what they're doing is not sustainable to this level, it doesn't mean you have to throw the baby out with bathwater. Just be cognizant of what you have. Uh, I mean, if, if, if someone in your league wants to give up tangible assets for those guys, then fine. By all means, cash in. I mean, but these guys are still house money players that can be weekly flex options or RB2 floor plays if thin at the position. I mean... Well, the the difference is, though, the difference is with Duke Johnson, and Duke Johnson has real brand equity behind him because he was the bell cow back and super productive at Miami, and he also had the higher fantasy ADP heading into the season. So he actually has some real trade value right now. So you, I would have no problem with someone trading Duke Johnson at this very moment. This is a sell-high window for Duke Johnson. I think we can both admit that. Same with Tariq Cohen. When he exploded in week one, there was a real euphoria around him, the next Darren Sproles, but the snaps and the touches in weeks one and two were not aligned with the production, as you mentioned. So he was also a sell-high guy. The problem with Chris Thompson is Chris Thompson's been in the league long enough, and we've seen what Chris Thompson can offer week to week long enough. I don't think he was ever a sell-high candidate. I think Chris Thompson was exactly what you said, a guy you ride the house money on because you could never get a lot for him in any league, whereas Duke Johnson and Tariq Cohen were actually sell-high candidates. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Um, I, could, I could see the stance of being able to move Johnson or something, because I think there's the allure of, one, Cleveland's going to stay in negative game script continuously, and two, they the allure of, you know, Crowell not playing well, even though I still think that, you know, the NFL coaches, man, they usually do not elevate the archetypes of these guys, even with Duke Johnson's college workload. I mean, I would not be surprised if Matthew Days, like, got touches if Crowell was injured or anything else, because that's usually what happens in these types of situations. It, that's maddening to me. They, we want Chris Thompson and Tariq Cohen and Duke Johnson and Theo Riddick to get more touches. It's like we talked about with Jarek McKinnon. We enjoy the explosive playmakers. Get these guys the ball out in space. Let them score long touchdowns, and it helps your team stop giving the ball to Rob Kelly and Jonathan Stewart and Jordan Howard and Isaiah Crowell <laughs> twice as often as you get it to the more explosive running backs. It's maddening. So that's the question. What will the New Orleans Saints do now? They have Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. Will he be taking the baton from Duke Johnson as the next satellite back that pops yeah, and you touched upon it. I mean, like the I mean, these types of guys too, and the James Whites and the now Kamara popping up. This is what always made you know the pushback on Christian McCaffrey sticker price. Like, it's like so so blatantly obvious. Like something like a lot of fans saying it's pushed against, but it still stayed in the third round. I mean, because we're seeing these guys pop up all the time for fantasy. Very volatile. Also difficult to project week to week. Right. I mean, and even McCaffrey himself is a guy that's had a, a good floor, but he hasn't had a lot of spike weeks. So, I mean, it's these guys. Uh, so Kamara's the next guy. So, I mean, is he going to be directly in this bucket? I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B for Kamara. I mean, because one, 
He's in the league's best fantasy offense, one that is ranked first or second in overall fantasy points to skill position players in 10 consecutive seasons. Wow. Wow. Think about that. Think about that. Rewind. Say that again, Rich. I need you to say that again. Yeah, and I tweeted this over the summer, too, about this. Uh, so the Saints have finished first or second in overall fantasy points allotted to wow. skill position players. Not Drew Brees, although Drew Brees takes a, a, a hand in creating this. Uh, to skill position players over the past 10 seasons. They've been first or second in the, every year. Right. And uh, the other thing with Kamara, too, is he's not exactly like these guys. He's a 214-pound back. Now, he's never had a rushing opportunity, though. He doesn't have the college... Very weird. They they love Jalen Hurd there. Production where you can go back and say, here are these 200 touches. Because apparently Tennessee hated this dude. Because I, I, every throughout the draft process, I couldn't, yeah, I, I could never put, I, I had a tough time evaluating him because he was never used. It's very dangerous. He, he was a guy that you could not get overly excited about because he didn't have the rushing production on his college resume, never exceeded 800 yards at Tennessee. So we had to have a wait and see approach with him, see how an NFL team would use him and if he could succeed in an every down roll. And we still haven't seen it yet. And my sense is that mm-hmm. the New Orleans Saints trading Adrian Peterson was more about Mark Ingram and that they felt like Mark Ingram offers more on a per-touch basis in those same situations than Adrian Peterson and that Adrian Peterson was simply a redundant asset, which leads to the next question. The logical next question is, why the hell did you sign him in the first place then? This was obvious to everyone. You were signing a redundant asset, basically at his age, a less athletic, less explosive version of Mark Ingram, which is not saying a lot. But now you have to project the roles. And Mark Ingram is going to move into a 60% opportunity share and he will get the red zone looks. And because of that, you cannot have Mark Ingram ranked ahead of Alvin Kamara rest of season. If you do, it's wishful thinking. I mean, you're looking at now for Mark Ingram. Um, yeah. He he's still, I mean, it's, I talked about it yesterday too a little bit. It's like, am I like, it's okay to like both these guys. You just said it. This is an offense, like we talked about in Green Bay, that can support two very fantasy viable backs. Just enjoy it if you own either one of them. This is a good time to be alive. Yeah, and I mean, and you don't even have to worry necessarily yes. about the touches. And um, I mean, it, it, it builds a confidence level is what this does. It's because now there's no worry with Mark Ingram. You have an increased confidence now. There's no player to take these touches away from while he's active, these goal line touches, these power touches, uh, you know, where Adrian Pierce, even if he got four of them, like he did the last game, Adrian Pierce only had four touches, but it's like, right. he's still there. Like if they get down there, is he going to come in? Are they going to try to get him going? You have full confidence now by playing Mark Ingram. And, you know, Mark, Mark Ingram is a guy that already has double digit PPR points in every game this year. He's already had a really safe floor. Mark Ingram is a guy who has been a top 15 scoring fantasy back in each of the past three seasons in a top 10 one over the past two, despite never having, having more than 255 touches in any of those seasons. He has never been a guy that's been required, even though he fits the archetype of saying this is a guy that needs 300 touches. He's never needed because of the offense he's been in, which he still is a part of. And the other thing about Mike Regan is people forget he is a really good receiver uh, from a fantasy sense. Like he's not like a guy you would think is like a, a guy that is going to exploit defenses as a receiver, but from a fantasy sense and being the offense he's in, he gets catches 
every game. He already has four catches in every game this year, uh, except for one. He has 90 catches over the past two years coming into this year. And, and he's getting you those points. That's why he's had such a safe floor already to start the year when people think he's had, you know, uh, you know, been a, 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 an asset they were ready to, you know, wash their hands up for some reason just because he wasn't, you know, winning. He wasn't manipulating weeks. Uh, but he still was a great option to put in the lineups because you knew what right. you were getting out of him. And the touchdowns hadn't even come yet. And the Saints have already gone through probably their toughest stretch of the season. I mean, they've played three or four road games. We've got all nothing but home games from here on out. Uh, and like you said, I mean, I would be wheels up on both these guys. Uh, I'd be happy to own either. I'd be happy to own both, uh, you know, in, in PPR formats. Mark Ingram's an RB1 moving forward. Mark Ingram will finish the season as a top 10 fantasy back. And I believe if he stays healthy, of course, always the caveat, if he stays healthy, that he'll have a career year because I think he'll exceed his career high in carries. His career high in carries, 226 in 2014 in only 13 games. If he plays 16 games, he will blow past the 226 carry threshold. And because he's also active in the passing game, particularly in running situations, when they're running play action, he'll run a route. He'll catch a lot of passes in running situations. That's the beauty of Mark Ingram. Whereas Alvin Kamara is catching his passes in passing situations, which is also fine. (laughs) It's all fine. But Mark Ingram's ceiling is certainly higher because of the usage. And I expect him to be a top 10 back in that system. The touchdowns and the receptions will fuel Mark Ingram's fantasy point output every week, more than 15 fantasy points, lock it in. And that do the math. Eventually he will be a top 10 running back. Now, has a star been born in Deshaun Watson? I mean, it's it's hard to say no, man. I mean, it based. I mean, it's it's really hard yeah. uh, to say no because we were kind of everyone even was still kind of putting it off. It was like for two weeks. I was like, well, you torched New England. Well, you torched Tennessee. But that was garbage time. I hate the caveat. In fairness, but in fairness to those of us that are questioning Deshaun Watson's greatness, it was in garbage time. So he has two exceptional games against the league's worst pass defenses and a garbage time-fueled five-touchdown performance against the Kansas City Chiefs. There's a whole bunch of weirdness Amazing. going on here. So, um, one, Bill O'Brien looked like he was going to be fired two weeks in the season, and now it looks like the freaking Mad Hatter. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, but if you watch Watson in the preseason and even to start this season, like, he looked horrendous. There was, like, nothing that pointed to, like, this level of play. But when you watch him, too, and even though he has – the New England game, I still thought he made a lot of mistakes, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of negative plays he still had there. But the past two weeks, even in the Chiefs game – He's making plays he so wasn't making. Good. I mean, we all saw the play where he switched the ball with his hands and you know, hit, you know, th- gets it down to Will Fuller for 40 yards and the touchdown. He's, he, you can see the con. What I mean is, you could see like the level of confidence mounting where he looked unsure and skittish, you know, through the preseason early on. We can see that kind of mounting. Now, I will say, like you said, there is some kind of bullshit to what happened. I mean, last week he threw five touchdowns on 16 completions. You can't make this up, Rich. You cannot make this up. He was the third. He was the. He was the first quarterback, first quarterback since 2007 to do that, and he was the third in the past 20 years to have that many touchdowns and that few completions. He's now thrown a touchdown once every 12.1 pass attempts, which is the best rate in the league. But I mean, even when we get recoil on these efficiency marks, which is going to happen, namely that TD rate, he still has that Konami code rushing factor, the rushing floor. Uh, I would say he's the front runner to have the most rushing points at this point for all quarterbacks, like rest of the season. And when you look at the rest of his, we look at the rest of his schedule, man. It's really hard to hold. If you want to say the schedule induced what he's done so far, 
I've already looked at the schedule, Rich. He's going to finish the season as the number one rookie quarterback by far and away and likely a top 10 quarterback this season. Already this week against Cleveland, we have him ranked in the top eight because you have to. You have to. You just have to at this point. You have to give this guy some credit for what he's doing. Yeah. He's a savant player, and certain savant players are able to overcome the perceived limitations in their measurables. Yeah, I mean, this is two years in a row now, too. I mean, uh, you know, you thought, like, I mean, he was a first-round pick, I guess, you know, so Dak is a lot more of an outlier. But, I mean, we we don't get this type of production from rookie quarterbacks. Like, never. So, I mean, and to have two in a row pop like this, I don't want to say, like, I don't really want to say it's a trend because we've got other rookies that played alongside Dak and have played alongside Watson that aren't playing well. So, I mean, it's not something you can just say, well, rookie quarterbacks are, you know, we have to – it, I mean, maybe we open, open up more of like an avenue for a grain of salt to to, the, to give these guys more of a chance. Uh, but, you know, we've we've had a lot of guys be bad the last few years, see a lot of rookie quarterbacks. So I don't want to just say that. I think it's just been two unique situations in a row, man, that have just come back. I mean, like I said, Watson, I expect some recoil along the line, but like the confidence is mounting. The schedule still lines up great. He's still running. He's going to run the rest of the year. We're going to see it again, Rich. Lamar Jackson's coming. Oh, I'm ready for some fire takes on Lamar Jackson. Like, it's going to be hot, dude. Like, the draft season's going to be hot. He is going to tear this league apart. Everyone loves Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold this, Sam Darnold that. If you had to guess who the next rookie quarterback that's going to exceed expectations is going to be, it has to be Lamar Jackson. Get out of here with this Sam Darnold, Schmarnold. Okay. Sam Darnold could be good, but I think like a Jared Goff or a Carson Wentz struggling as a rookie and then breaking out. But when you watch Lamar Jackson play, he is on another plane of existence at the college level. Now, speaking of Jared Goff, how the hell are the Rams of all teams the NFL's most exciting offense? I mean, the Chiefs are, but if you want to take credit for the for the Rams, I mean, they've been fun. But basically, for the expectations too. I mean, I think it's the NFC. The <laughs> NFC. You're right. I correct. I stand corrected. That was just, you know, I can't get I can't get anything by you. Yes, you're right. The NFC's most exciting offense. No one would have pegged the Chiefs either. But I mean, look at I mean, the Chiefs. Like, man, they look the Chiefs. Right, Alex Smith and Jared Goff are the two <laughs> most exciting quarterbacks in the league. Okay, this is where we are. How amazing is this? How is this possible? I'm more interested in the Rams, though. The Rams are shocking me. I mean, they're just shocking because we had them pegged as one of the worst offenses in the league, and yeah, it's opposite world. I mean, we have a little bit of hindsight to go off of on the Rams, but I mean, they, because we've got to see how it's played out the first five weeks, but I mean, uh, having a coherent plan and executing that coherent plan and bringing in the players you want to have that operate uh, you know, you operate your vision is is really important. And they were able to do that. You know, they brought in some vet- veteran offensive linemen. You know, you add playmakers. I mean, a guy like you get the you just grab the Bills X receivers and you grab them and you get them back and you get them in your, into the fold. Right, that's always the f- foolproof. You get the white angel of death. You get the white angel of death involved. And then, oh, yeah, you take your feature back who was a, you know, top 10 pick and, 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 no matter what we knew the punching bag Todd Gurley was for the past, you know, 24 games before this, Todd Gurley was an elite prospect. Like, he was. Uh, yeah, he was. A, and, yeah. and, you know, for his – and you're using him like a true alpha back in the mold of Le'Veon Bell and the mold of David Johnson. Guys have been fantasy haymakers. They started using Todd Gurley like that, you know, revolving your offense around this player. And then, of course, like to date, the, I mean, the schedule has, has done them a lot of favors because as good as – Goff has been, especially for baseline expectations um, of what we expected for him, like anything, he, he only had one where to go, and it was up. 
Uh, but for as good as he's played, he's only been higher than the QB 14 once so far through five games, um, which would probably shock a lot of people. But he really hasn't been that like, great of a fantasy entity. It's just that the barometer we've set for Jared Goff was so low that mid-level looks like he's like amazing. Oh, yeah, versus expectations. Yeah, he's crushing yeah, he's crushing expectations. That's what matters with Jared Goff. We did not expect to see this Jared Goff this year. I did expect to see this Todd Gurley though. It makes sense. Top 10 pick with a 108.3 87th percentile speed score and a college target share well over 10. So if you just looked at how big and fast is this guy, how much do NFL scouts like him, and how active was he in the passing game at the college level, he's checking boxes that most players don't check. That's why his best comparable player on Player Profiler is Ladanian Tomlinson. So yes, Todd Gurley has always been an uber prospect, and one failed season in the NFL should not have changed that in anyone's mind, but it did because, you know, this is what we do. We knee-jerk, and we run out to extremes, and, you know, this the snap judgments based on small sample sizes is something that fantasy analysts are addicted to doing, and they will continue to be addicted to doing this for many years, and it'll be one of the things that helps keep us employed, you and I. But uh, what, what do we do with the Rams going forward? I mean, we know they had the, they were they were absolutely mashable in the three, like, great matchups they've had. Uh, but the you know the passing schedule is really rough, and if you look at the way the Rams have played offense outside of Todd Gurley, it is really spread out. Like if you look, they've got five guys over 20 targets in the year. I mean, they're really kind of like game to game, like really like not peppering one individual player outside of Todd Gurley with opportunity. So while they've been better as a whole, they're still really hard to latch onto for, for, for from a fantasy aspect because they're spreading out this wealth of wealth of opportunity like very thin very thinly across of like a lot of lateral assets from the fantasy sense and now Tavon Austin's starting to get touches the past couple weeks so it's it, it's very hard to latch onto anybody outside of Todd Gurley and say like these guys are real difference makers for fantasy as good as it's been you know for the Rams and, and expectations and them getting this started at the first five games of the Sean McVay era uh, I don't really see anyone outside of Gurley being guys that are like really guys that you can like count on for fantasy. Goff doesn't have an attractive matchup, a truly attractive secondary that he can take apart until week 14 against Philadelphia and then again week 16 against Tennessee. So the passing game will be interesting to watch in the fantasy playoffs, but in the meantime, it's Minnesota, it's Houston, it's New York, it's Jacksonville, and even New Orleans, their secondary has quietly improved. So Ken Crawley is a top 10 cornerback thus far this season, even though he's getting targeted at an enormous rate. But quarterbacks are picking on Ken Crawley because they don't dare throw it at Marshawn Lattimore. So that secondary is quietly getting better. Minnesota's secondary, of course, is one you want to stay away from Xavier Rhodes. So it's very problematic. I just think about Todd Gurley. I just want to play Todd Gurley and enjoy Todd Gurley and say spread out medium volume pass attack. And that is the worst for fantasy football wide receiver projections. You can pencil in Cooper Cup for six targets and make him a flex play. And that's about it in that Rams passing game for the foreseeable future. And it's fine. It's still fine because, again, this is level of production above expectations. I mean, the team is going to be playing with house money the rest of the season. They've already won. They've already won. It's like me hitting on Aaron Jones and hitting on Jarek McKinnon. I've already won, Rich. I don't have to play another game the rest of the season. I can take all my rankings down. We can close player profiler. I've won. The Rams have already won. (laughs) But 
Todd Gurley, at the very least, will keep winning and winning and winning and winning and win a lot of people fantasy championships. This year, including my wife, who drafted him in a standard league in the third round, her work colleagues are suckers. (laughs) Now, another player that we've talked about and loved pre-draft, who's starting to break out a little bit, Marlon Mack. You loved Marlon Mack. Will he outproduce Gore? Or does that even matter? I mean, what's what's cool about that is, you know, I actually got to come on last year before the combine. So it was, we, we, we had actual running back takes based on production and what we, what we saw from these players. Yeah, the composite profiles pointed to guys like Aaron Jones and Marlon Mack. And it's funny how that works, that they're playing well. Yeah, we didn't just pick out guys that 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 crushed the you know the the combine like you know a lot of these guys get get pegged on that we highlight. But I mean, Gore's already such a good pass protector and he's the RB two bone collector at this point. But it's already mattered. Mac has only been active for three games this year and he's led the backfield in fantasy points in two of them already. Uh, right. Mac and Bobby Turbo also have six carries inside the five, three each, while Gore is just one. I mean. Will his the thing with with Mac though is is will his touch level ever be trustworthy is the issue which is really kind of yeah. hard to foresee and and for me to give like a firm stance on it will be is not something I can definitively say I mean this is but this is an offense starving for playmakers outside of T Y Hilton and that's what Marlon Mack is he's the classic let's focus on this one negative over using him in a fashion to embrace his positives and what those positives bring bounces to the table. too many runs outside Rich he bounces too many runs outside rich he bounces too many runs outside rich and so far that's exact he's exactly what he was advertised as college like you say he's a boom bust runner uh 54 of his rushing yardage in 2016 in the collegiate level came on carries of five or more yards it was seventh in the country for all backs with 100 carries so far this year he's had no gain or lost yardage on 46 percent of his carries it's the highest rate in the league but he already has four carries of 10 or more yards which is one more than gore has on 51 more rushing Ooh. attempts I mean, if he can just kind of become a 10 to 12 touch guy, he can inherently become flex value if this offense gets Andrew Luck back and become an offense that we can invest like scoring points into. Um, but more, he's just more of a hold. He needs to be owned on rosters. But I mean, you can't just go out and play him because what are you getting in San Francisco? We need some more stable usage. But he's only played in three games and he's led the team in fantasy points in two of them. Rational clinical analysis from Rich Rebar. We love Marlon Mack. We're very excited. But this is the Jacoby Brissett offense, and the Colts have never been the Packers or the Saints, never been a team that can support multiple running backs in fantasy football. No, it's not a great running team. So we need to temper expectations on Marlon Mack as much as we like him. Wait and see. But he's so exciting, such a great playmaker. You just have to have him on your bench. And maybe he continues to post 10 plus fantasy points a game and you can start using him in flex. But just wait and see one more week. Not the case with Joe Mixon. I'm ready to start playing Joe Mixon every week. Is he the NFL's next breakout running back? I mean, he definitely fits the archetype of what you look for. You know, that the 225-pound guy that can, you know, be a composite back in all assets of the game. He's the, the, the mold of what you want to invest in, and you wait for that opportunity. And then opportunities come with the switch to uh, Bill Lazor. I mean, Ken St. Peasy fell on that sword, even though the Bengals were probably going to suck those first two games no matter what. I mean, maybe not to that yeah. degree, but I mean— 
you know, against Baltimore and against Houston, you know, on Thursday night, like those are probably, it wasn't set up for like Cincinnati's offense to exactly be good out of the box. Uh, but, you know, Mixon wasn't involved in those games and now he has been every game since Bill Lazor's been involved. I mean, you look at the touches, I mean, 21, 21, uh, then 15 last week. He got finally got in the end zone and we wanted to see that. We, who's going to get this carry inside the five? Well, he was getting 21 touches per week the first two weeks when Lazor took over. They had yet to get inside and knock on the door for a touchdown. They did last week, and guess who came in the game and got the TD? It was Joe Mixon. So, I mean, that's what we needed. Thank you very much. Funny how that works when you have red zone touches. That's what we needed, though, because I think all of us were still like, what the hell is you know, uh, you know, know, Marvin Lewis going to do, man? Like, We could totally see them plot- taking Jeremy Hill. Jeremy, the one thing Jeremy Hill has been able to do is fall into the end zone uh, effectively. So, I mean, it's like, are they going to give him this opportunity? So we needed that from Mixon. The thing is, the receptions really aren't there yet. The receiving work's not quite there. Geo's still kind of shaving a little bit out of that. And the offensive line has been a problem, I mean, with, with all these touches. That's the big problem. He's second to last in yards before contact right now in the NFL, which is kind of a, a probably a problem for a ceiling. But he's already been the RB19 and the RB22 in two of the three games uh, since Lazer's taken over. So, I mean, you're already getting start-worthy performances in this running back landscape. Like, that's all we ask for. And he's, like I said, he fits that archetype for the upside. So, will he be the next big thing? I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, he fits the, he fits the mold, no. but uh, he's definitely starter-worthy going forward, and that's all that matters. Cincinnati's run-blocking efficiency on playerprofiler.com, which looks at yards blocked, what you mentioned, yards before contact, similar, as well as percentage of runs stuffed in the backfield where the running back just didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati's run blocking efficiency is 5.8. That's on a scale to 100. That's number 32 in the NFL. <laughs> They're lower than the Seattle Seahawks in run blocking efficiency. Let that sink in. That's the problem with Joe Mixon. That's why Joe Mixon's not going to outproduce Mark Ingram this year. Right there. You nailed it. Joe Mixon is an RB2 this year because he doesn't have the boom weeks because he won't have those wide running lanes, which afford running backs the opportunity to make splash plays. He's not going to have that opportunity. Without that opportunity, he's not going to have a big 30-point week here and there. That's not what you're looking at with Joe Mixon. You're looking at a nice high floor in the teens each and every week with this big workload, and he's a talented back. He can win in all phases, 111.2 speed score, 91st percentile, even higher than Todd Gurley. But like Todd Gurley, that college target share, well over 10%. So he can succeed in all phases, and I think he'll start to catch passes in running situations, which we talked about. That's my favorite way for running backs to compile fantasy points and establish a floor are receptions and running situations. And that's what Joe Mixon and Mark Ingram bring to the table moving forward. Now, it's about time to start some games. We love games on this show. Multiple games for Rich Rebar. The first one is Contrived Dichotomy. Our most popular game. I give you two players. You give me the one you like the rest of the season. An extra analysis is optional. You ready? Let's do it. I wasn't ready. Hold on. <laughs> Writing something down. <laughs> is that, uh, ready? Alex Smith, Matt Ryan. Ooh, this this one is really, this is a really winner you picked out here. Um, I love Matt Ryan's rest of the season schedule, and his efficiency metrics are all in line with his career output except for touchdown rate. He went from having a super fortunate touchdown rate last year to having an unfortunate one this year. Um, his, his mean, if we look at his career mean, it's better than Alex Smith's. 
But I'm still going to surprise you and say Alex Smith, man. Uh, the way you got to, you got to ride it. You got to ride Alex Smith now. He's established what he is this season, and and he's running, and he's running again. You need to ride them. Quarterbacks are season to season. Once you saw what Matt Ryan was going to be last season, you needed to buy. Now that we've seen what Alex Smith is this season, you need to buy. Yeah, and he's he's running for 22 yards a game. He's almost rushed for as many yards. He's only rushed for 24 yards fewer than he did all of last year already through through the start of the season so you get that nice like extra boost of uh floor points to a game which and he doesn't throw interceptions so you're not losing any uh and he's he's crushing he's crushing right now in the scoring opportunities and he's getting more yards off the deep ball than he ever has and this offense has figured it out man i mean kelsey you know over his last you know 12 games going back in the last year he's been an, almost an unstoppable force He's already had 300-yard games. I'm going to count the last Monday night because he had 98 at halftime before leaving for a cushion. So I'm going to give him the benefit out there. They've got Tyreek Hill, who hasn't even gotten off yet. You know, he hasn't even – Tyreek Hill's not even – Alex is doing all this, and Tyreek Hill's just kind of not even gotten loose yet. Kareem Hunt's balling out. Uh, they've just kind of figured out the – uh, the production they need to. I mean, he's going to have some efficiency get shaved down, but uh, I think for cost investment, you know, you can still sell Matt Ryan where I think you still have a hard time selling Alex Smith and what he's done. Cause people say, well, it's just Alex Smith. Right. The kid, that's the difference in the brand equity. And don't be surprised if the wide receiver delivering the splash plays in the next few weeks is actually not Tyreek Hill, that it is Albert Wilson. Wilson! We can't handle Jared McKay and Albert Wilson being at the same time. Oh, God, if Albert Wilson, please, Albert Wilson. He's a, just a great football player. Incredible dominator rating at Georgia State. Athletic, but he's small. That also describes Tyreek Hill. So why not Albert Wilson? We've spent way too long I'm sorry. on the first contrived dichotomy. We've got a lot more to go. Let's shorten it up. That's on me and you. I'm following up a retort on top of your follow-up. Too much. Too much talking. Not enough. Moving on to the next contrived dichotomy. Carson Wentz or Jared Goff? I mean, I'm I'm going to take Wentz. I mean, he's he's a lot more mobile, and we just laid out the schedule for uh, Goff. And the volumes there. L.A. is a run-first team. Philadelphia is very much a pass-first team. Follow the volume. Go Carson Wentz. Carlos Hyde or Jordan Howard? I'm going to probably go against recency bias here and still say Carlos Hyde. Good. I mean... He's had a strong start to the year prior to last week. Uh, I don't know what the Shanahan sending a message thing for a missed block on a blitz. Uh, <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. God, Carlos Hyde could crush Kyle Shanahan between his pinky toe and his second to the pinky toe toe. But prior to last week, Hyde was a top 20 back in every game through a hip injury, uh, you know, through, you know, four ers being terrible. And Matt Breida is, while I like Matt Breida and we, he checks a lot of boxes we like, he fits that, like Matt he Breida. fits that archetype of guys that we talked about earlier in the show that no matter what we think or what their college workload suggests, NFL teams do not elevate these guys into workload roles. I mean, he's sub 200 pound backs do not can't trust him. Can't trust him, Rich. Can't trust him to handle a full workload. Can't trust him not to break down. Can't trust him to hold on to the football. Can't trust him, Rich. Nope, can't trust those satellite backs. Nope, 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 nope. Got to keep giving the ball to Carlos Hyde. But it's fine in that case because Carlos Hyde is good. Carlos Hyde is underrated. Jordan Howard's overrated. Now, Jordan Howard or Jay Ajayi? 
Now I'm going to flip back. I'm going to take Howard here uh, just because uh, Ajay has some problems. Well, you like the the opportunity share he's getting. He's been now a top 20 scoring back now in just four of his last 12 games played. He has two two or fewer receptions in 22 of 28 career games and in 10 of his past 14 games. And he also has a bone-on-bone knee issue with no bye week for the rest of the season. So all those kind of come up. And and Howard's just been a guy that's produced more consistently uh, than Ajayi in like an awful climate. So I just trust him a little bit more. Here's one. Julio Jones or Calvin Johnson historically? This is a hell of a barstool convo. We might have to wait till Jones actually is gone before we have it. But I will say the one. Uh, right, right. <laughs> yes, this is two guys having a drink in a bar talking sports. Sports. I've got one super dope uh, Julio Jones data point for you, though. Are you ready for it? I God, this is what I was hoping. So he uh, has averaged over 100 yards receiving per game now in four consecutive NFL seasons. No other player in NFL history has averaged 100 yards receiving for more in four games of their NFL careers or four seasons of their NFL's career, let alone four in a row. Unbelievable. Love that. We need to have a, a, a sounder for a wow factor stat. Shuck stat. A Lord Reeves shucks that. And I'll modulate my voice. (laughs) It'll sound cool. Okay, here you go. Here's a stumper. Tyler Lockett or Paul Richardson? I'll say Tyler Lockett just because I was, you know, I think he was a better prospect. uh, But I'm not really high on either of these guys being like difference makers because Baldwin and Jimmy Graham haven't done well yet. And I think that they will. So the two primary receivers in that passing game, which can support two receivers. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Follow me, everybody. Doug Baldwin, Jimmy Graham, that's all you need to know. Ricardo Lewis, Roger Lewis. Spelled differently uh, as well. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, as well as the Battle of the Lewis. Uh, I'm going to say Roger Lewis here just based on what is bankable opportunity. I mean, Ricardo Lewis has 18 targets the past two games, or 17 targets, which is nice. But Corey Coleman will eventually be back. Uh, Kenny Britt is back this week. We still know the quarterback situation. I mean, Roger Lewis is walking to a situation where only Sterling Shepard is going to come back, and Sterling Shepard is not going to elevate it to a new role. He's going to play the same position he was still, no matter Odell Beckham and Brandon Marshall are gone, but Sterling Shepard's still going to be the primary slot guy, and that's it. Uh, he's not going to be moved to the X receiver. He's not going to be moved to the Z. It doesn't matter. He's going to be the slot guy. Or Roger Lewis is a guy who has had a great you know, production profile at Bowling Green. He's a guy that was recruited and signed on to play for Ohio State. The problem is with Roger Lewis is he's part of awful human Twitter. Uh, you know, So, I mean, if you can get past that, you're fine. But uh, his opportunity, not this week against Denver, but uh, going forward. <laughs> if you're playing either Joe Mixon or Tyreek Hill, you should have no problem playing Roger Lewis. True. In the Odell Beckham Jr. role, what you're saying is Roger Lewis moves into the Odell Beckham Jr. role because of course he does. He's the only one left on that depth chart that can play the Odell Beckham Jr. position, and they've deployed him outside periodically this year, and what has he accomplished? He's been a top five wide receiver in terms of efficiency. When you throw the ball to Roger Lewis, he makes plays. He accumulates yards and touchdowns. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with, with Roger Lewis, man. I think it, you definitely need to pick him up in, in leagues. You have to stash him now because if he somehow, someway finds a way to break free of Aqib Talib this week, fantasy gamers aren't idiots. 
They're going to see a guy producing in a number one receiver role against the Denver Broncos, and they're going to rush out to get him on the waiver wire, pick him up now before that potentially happens. Here's one. Chris Hogan or Brandon Cooks? Oh, this is easy. I mean, it's Chris Hogan. It's not even easy. First of all, red zone use. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is so cool. Yeah. I'm so glad you said Chris Hogan. Yeah. First of all, red zone use matters. I care about touchdowns. I play fantasy in the sense of caring about touchdowns. And and safety targets. I mean, his floor floor is safe with the types of targets he's getting. And his red zone use is taking that floor and turning that floor into a ceiling. You you combine the two. Whereas Cooks is what we thought Cooks would be. He was a guy that had to be either a better player or get a larger market share than he got in New Orleans uh, to be the same fantasy producer in New England because the New Orleans pie was larger, even though the New England situation was laterally felt just as good. Uh, there was still more fantasy points being well, scored. Well, the difference is in New Orleans, you have Kobe Fleener at tight end, <laughs> whereas in New England, you have Rob Gronkowski at tight end. You have a celestial being, someone with his own gravitational pull, pulling in the targets. You didn't have that in New Orleans. Yeah, and I mean, Brandon Cooks now, we've seen that come to fruition. He has zero points, zero fantasy points inside the red zone to start the year. He's not going to get points inside the red zone. That's the Gronk zone. And if it's not it's the Gronk zone, zone, it's now. the Hogan zone, baby. The Hogan zone. I love the ends of the red zone is the Hogan zone. That's so cool. How cool is this Chris Hogan story, though? I mean, he plays lacrosse at the college level, plays one year of football at Monmouth, of all places, is undrafted, gets signed by the Miami Dolphins, and rises to notoriety based on making catches on hard knocks in training camp. And then the Dolphins cut him anyway, makes his way to Buffalo, produces there, is efficient there, but like Mike Gillisley, was underappreciated and allowed to walk northeast to New England. And now in New England, he's in WR1 in fantasy. It's amazing. This guy's great. And he's 28 years old. The 28-year-old breakout, man. This is such a feel-good story. Makes me so filled with hope. I love this story, man. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like that Bills regime, the previous one, didn't know what they were doing. Uh, but <laughs> the, <laughs> the, uh, the Hard Knock Heroes, man, they've done this a few times. And we've had Woodhead now. We've had Amendola and, uh, you know, Hogan. And what's funny is I think all those guys got cut that year uh, from the Hard Knock Hero year. Amazing. So you talked about your worksheet on Roto World, and I can't tout this piece of fantasy analysis enough every wednesday rich drops the stats in your face with his worksheet if you had to choose one thing to read each week to prepare your fantasy team for the upcoming weekend it would be rich rebar's worksheet on roto world go check it out what was the most interesting observation from this week's worksheet oh man i mean it's tough there's so i mean so many things that i, I pop in there i mean the cam newton fact i thought was cool that i dropped in there and shout out to k adams for mentioning it today on nfl network's uh, good morning football uh you know cam, cam newton's thrown for 300 yards in back-to-back games and the, the last time he did that was his first two career nfl games uh, so, I mean, tonight, you know, I mean, this won't come out till tomorrow, but I mean, uh, you know, tonight it's fun to watch him see if he can keep that streak going. I mean, Cam Newton is, you know, we, we left another guy. Yeah, Tay Clock's a hell of a drug. Uh, you know, th- three weeks in, you know, what do we do with Cam Newton? Like, should we just like set him on fire? Um, he didn't really have a training camp, you know, uh, come back and he's doing it with his arm. He's not, it's not the Cam Newton of old. I mean, back to back 300 yard games. He like, came back from shoulder surgery, Rich. He had the same shoulder surgery that Andrew Luck had. He's been rehabilitating and building rapport with his receivers later than normal. He was rusty. 
now he's back. This isn't a big deal. This isn't hard to figure out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be fun. And like you said, the Eagles have a lot of QB1 now in four straight games. Uh, so, I mean, it's just you just keep keep hammering. I think tonight will be another good week for Cam. And, you know, our, our guy Funches is going to be doing good again. I think Kelvin Benjamin is going to be Gargamel. He's going to be all right. He's going he's gonna to keep playing well. You're going to get RB2 uh, play from McCaffrey. I mean, they, the Panthers are starting to be kind of fun. Yeah, we have Devin Funches as a locked-in WR2 in fantasy this week with WR1 upside as... As Devin Funches has been bringing to the table in recent weeks. But I love Cam Newton this week. It's all about Cam Newton this week. I have him as the number two quarterback in fantasy football for week six, projected to score 22.05 fantasy points against a Philadelphia offense that perpetually allows washed up quarterbacks to throw for well over 300 yards. Washed up quarterbacks love to face the Eagles. Eli Manning. 350 yards. Philip Rivers, 350 yards. Carson Palmer, almost 300 yards. I mean, his arm's about to fall off, but he almost made it. Cam Newton is in his prime. Cam Newton can rush for touchdowns, can throw for touchdowns. He has weapons. Love, 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 love Cam Newton this week. Now, what about Washington, though? No team has more players that are disappointing fantasy owners than the team in Washington. It's fascinating to watch because we expected high volume and Terrell Pryor, give us the splash plays, Jamison Crowder to be that target hog, Jordan Reed to be Jordan Reed, and none of it has come to fruition with the exception of Chris Thompson drastically exceeding expectations. So all the opportunities have funneled to Chris Thompson, all the splash plays have been shouldered by Chris Thompson, and everyone else is disappointed. Which of the tanking Washington skill guys will bounce back in the second half? The only guy I really believe in, and I think you can buy because I think owners have washed their hands, is Jordan Reed. And I know he's not an easy buy, but I mean, we were talking about the position he plays and the landscape of that position as it pertains to fantasy football and the upside he brings. Tight end position is a wasteland right now, as it always is. It's terrible. And we, you know, we had we had one like true gem that we found in Charles Clay. Now he's broken. Uh, and then if, if you didn't draft Ertz, Kelsey or, or Gronk, like you got nothing like at the position Like you were just playing. You were just trying to get like five points, man. That's like where we are. <laughs> like, can I get, can... Yeah. Those of us that picked up Austin <laughs> Safarian Jenkins feel like we won the line. Yeah, he's just I mean, we're just praying that, you know, he's get, he, he's only put up what 109 yards in three games. Like that's it looks amazing. <laughs> like we're just, we're thrilled with that. That's amazing. And it's not even. I'm not even really trying to downplay Oscar. It's where the position is, and yeah. and the, and it, and it's also part of default when you lay out the Washington scenario. So I was like, Jamison Crowder is a, like a telltale. He was a telltale red red flag guy to like avoid this year, anyways. Uh, the archetype of slot receiver. That, Wish you would have told me that. Well, the archetype of slot receiver that outkicks his touchdown production. You know that archetype has burned so many guys. Elevated drafts. The elevated draft stock of you know, interior receiver uh, that's going to have touchdown reduction. Like, that's it's, – it's it's for many souls have been claimed in the fantasy community. And I want to say prior, but if you look past, like, this stretch, like this immediate stretch of 49ers, Eagles, Cowboys, dude, it gets rough for boundary receivers uh, on the Washington schedules. After they play, they play a four- – Oh, NFC East receivers are fucked. This yeah, year. I mean, it is bad. He still has Seattle – Xavier Rhodes, he catches maybe a little break with the Saints, but we maybe Marshall Ladder is still playing great. He's got Janoris uh, Jenkins, he still has Casey Hayward, uh, he still has Patrick Peterson, uh, and he still has the Broncos. Uh, 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 
I want to tell you that Pryor is like a great buy low, but I think he's actually, you take these next three weeks, the 49ers Eagles and him coming off that touchdown. And dude, you just try to get the hell out. Like you just, you just, Oh, Terrell Pryor is haunted as we head into Halloween. Terrell Pryor's fantasy forecast is haunted. It gets bad, man. Like it's so it's really hard for me to like want to buy on that. So I think by default and by the position he plays, like Jordan Reed's the guy. He's not an easy buy. I get it. Um, but I think he's an easy sell for owners. So you might have to pay up for pay up for it. What about stashing Samaj P. Ryan? I mean, he should already be on everywhere because he's got a starting running back at home favored by 10 points off of a bye facing a team allowing the most running back touches per game to the position that's also traveling across country for an early kickoff. Oh, but beyond that this week, I mean, why would you want to roster him? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so go get Samaj P. Ryan. Try to get him thrown into a trade this week because he could pop in week six. Yeah, I mean, dating back to the preseason, I mean, he's it's problem because he's never really even sniffed threatening the Sam Congato of this year to like push push for the true opportunity of play, uh, and he hasn't really played well with the opportunities had. But he was a prospect that who was very closely resembled Carlos Hyde coming out. The organization was high on him, so I mean, he's still going to probably get a chance to deliver, and he's got an opportunity this week where everything is in his favor, man. If he doesn't if he doesn't hit this week, then I don't know, man. This is a make-or-break week for Samaj P. Ryan. I would play him this week if I own him, though. Like, I wouldn't have, like, like as I lay all that out and say you kind of want to be in a holding pattern. Like, I would play P. Ryan as RB2 this week. I would feel all right with it. Okay, let's talk about DFS for a moment. Who's your upside play, the guy that has the highest ceiling versus consensus for you in DFS, where you're playing him and you're not sure, and you see that the community doesn't quite appreciate his upside this week? Who is the highest upside versus his cost for you this week in DFS? So a great GPP play for you this week. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I'm going to roll this into, uh, you had marked down probably a little bit later for a bold DFS call. So I'm going to roll this on to one, one for you here. Yes. All right. It's going to, bold call. it's Marshawn Lynch, man. Okay. Uh, I think that, I think Marshawn Lynch has multiple touchdown upside this week and he's, he has a real shot to clear a hundred yards. And even though he just has 118 rushing yards over his past four games with a high of 45 yards, but I'm going to lay this out here. He hasn't had more than 13 touches in a game since week one, but the Raiders have had just like a litany of wonky game scripts and they're, they kind of went through like an offensive identity crisis in a sense. Oakland is trailed by uh, two uh, more possessions now and 41% of their snaps this year. That's the third worst rate in the NFL behind Cleveland and Chicago. Over the past three weeks, Oakland has trailed for every single uh, of their every single second half snap they've had on offense the past three weeks. They've trailed. They've trailed by two or more possessions on 85% of those snaps. They've trailed by three or more possessions on 33% of those. And they've thrown 74% of the time uh, in the second half of games. Lynch just isn't going to pop in that type of climate. He's not that type of player. Um, and also, I mean, it's more narrative driven because I'm going to give you an eyeball take, but he doesn't look like Chris Johnson or even Adrian Peterson. It's really just more usage and opportunity. He's still forcing missed tackles on his touches. So, I mean, that's a little more narrative driven, but I still still believe he's looked fine. The Chargers have allowed 100 or more rushing yards now to in nine straight games dating back to last year. It's the longest streak in the league, the longest streak in franchise history since 1977 for them. Uh, and not just the yards allowed, but who they're allowing it to. They just made Orleans Darkwell and Wayne Gallup and look like the second coming of Ahmad uh, Bradshaw and Brandon Jacobs. I mean, the week before, they allowed 214 <laughs> rushing yards to the Eagles at home and made the Garrett Blunt look like Christian Okoye in Tech Mobile. I mean, they allowed 122 yards to Jay Ajayi for crying out loud. <laughs> that might be the funniest one of all. 
That was while they had a Coke addict as their offensive line coach. <laughs> I mean, it. I know no one wants to play Marshawn Lynch, and he hasn't been good. But if he can't hit here, like it's never going to happen. But I don't. No one's going to play him, and the spot is great. And with Derek Carr injured, I think they're a spot to actually run the ball and keep the game script kind of like around, uh, you know, neutral. Uh, so I mean, he's kind of like my bold call upside play of the week. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch, absolutely an RB2 in fantasy this week with some RB1 upside based on touchdowns. Could have two touchdowns this week. That's what we want. Please, please make that happen, Marshawn. What about cash games? Who's that reasonably priced, high-floor cash game guy? Um, Yeah, I think it's C.J. Anderson. I mean, he's had 21, 28, 24 touches in Denver wins. The Giants have a 13-point implied team total this week. And the Giants have probably, their run defense has probably been one of the most disappointing uh, things that have have come into you know fruition for for, uh, for how they performed last year. They were second against the run last year. They're allowing 119 rushing yards per game to running backs this year. And again, when you look at the opponents they've had, you know Detroit, uh, San Diego, uh, Philadelphia. These are not teams really known for running the football, and they've run the ball effectively on them. So I mean, I think C.J. Anderson's just in a great smash spot, and he's just priced at a mid level. You can fit him in the lineups pretty easily. And Mark Ingram, of course. Mark Ingram's a smack. I, I forgot. Mark Ingram is just gloriously priced. He's RB40 on DraftKings. I forgot about that. Mark Ingram's a free square back this week. How are we living in a world, a universe, where Mark Ingram is a free square back in DFS? But we are. That's where we're living right now, and I love it. I almost blew that one. Oh, good save. <laughs> Next game. Bust or not a bust? Are you ready? This is rapid fire. All right. I'll do as good as I can. Give me Rich Rebar's best version of an up or down. I know you can't do up or down. I know you need to do analysis because you're just compulsively excellent at your job. I understand that. But just try to do your version of yay or nay. Bust or no bust? Martavis Bryant. Bust, third option in a passing game that's not as good as we thought it was. Ben has thrown over 300 yards once over his past 11 games. He's been a top 12 quarterback in five of his past 14 games played. Uh, He'd be a guy to be looking to package up like in two for ones right now. That's as good of a yay or nay as we're going to get from Rich Rebar, and I love it. That was a perfect Rich Rebar up or down. Next one, Golden Tate. Not bust. I mean, this is what Golden Tate is. I mean, his archetype kind of suggests he's like a PPR floor guy, but he's actually more of a spike week player. Uh, Since joining the Lions, he's had 16 top 20 scoring weeks. 13 of those have been our wide receiver one weeks, but he has 20 weeks at wide receiver 40 or lower. Uh, Stafford's faced a bunch of bad matchups to start the year. He's also still on pace for 93 receptions. It'll be his fourth straight year of 90 catches or more. And don't forget, at this point last year, Golden Tate only had 17 catches for 134 yards. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Check out our weekly rankings. We have Golden Tate in the top 20, even though he's facing the New Orleans Saints, because I don't think he'll see Marshawn Lattimore. I think they'll hide Golden Tate in the slot, and he'll receive copious volume, 10-plus targets this week against New Orleans. Play Golden Tate. Trade for Golden Tate in seasonal leagues if you can. Mm -hmm. Demarius Thomas. I'm going to say no bust from a fantasy stance, but he definitely is going to be a letdown for the cost, and he has been a declining asset now four years running. But he's only had one unusable game so far. Weeks one and three, weeks one through three, he has wide receiver 33, wide receiver 26, wide receiver 28. So it's 24% of the team targets, 32% of the air yards, and there's nowhere for these targets to go. They have to go to him. Targets will funnel to Demarius Thomas, but it's interesting how the Demarius Thomas balloon has been the slowest balloon to deflate in the history of fantasy football. It's just every 
every year we check in on Demarius Thomas and it's just slightly less inflated with fantasy points. <laughs> yep. Tyrell Williams. Uh, bust. I mean, his, his production last year was largely opportunity-based. That's no longer the case. He's averages 14% of team targets per game. Hit 60 yards just once. He'll have some spike weeks, but he's just uh, not really my type of player for EJF. I'd still absolutely hold a dynasty, though, because he's an unrestricted free agent. We'll call it Tyrell Williams. Bust. Kelvin Benjamin. No, no bust. His past three game, full games he's played, he's been wide receiver 22 or higher. I mean, it's just what you paid for. And Cam has recoiled. And again, without Greg Olson, I mean, it's the, the targets are targets tree here small. Just because Devin Funches is great doesn't mean Kelvin Benjamin's a bust. He just is Kelvin Benjamin. He was always overmatched as a number one option. You saw the efficiency when he received a number one wide receiver target share. It was near the bottom of the league. He was out of his depth. Now with Devin Funches, who looks like a proper NFL X receiver, is able to step up and be efficient in the face of huge volume. That allows Kelvin Benjamin to play a role that aligns better with his skill set. That means he can be more efficient with less targets and be the same Kelvin Benjamin in fantasy football we've always known. Ted Ginn. Yeah, bust. I mean, he probably isn't a real true bust for cost, but Willie Sneed's back. His targets were out of drop in every game this season. Three or, three or fewer catches in every game since week one. Just a legitimately hard guy to put in lineups. 360 windmill slam bust dunk on the head of Ted Ginn. That was as easy as it comes, Rich. We need to bring back the tight end conversation briefly. Is George Kittle still a rookie tight end? Is he a thing? And if he is... Does that mean he's a better option moving forward than, say, Austin Hooper? I'm not 100% sure we can call him a thing because he had, you know, five for 46 and a touchdown out of that breakout game in the final four minutes. It was kind of jailbreak scenario. Uh, previously, he was targeted on just 11% of his routes before last week. He does have a clear path to opportunity, uh, but we're also getting closer and closer to C.J. Beathard uh, playing uh, while Atlanta uh, has more uh, people in Austin Hooper's way but also has Matt Ryan uh, in a higher volume offense. So, I mean, I don't really see either guy as more of like a streamer in a redraft. Uh, for Dynasty, I would absolutely rather have Kittle, though. He's better athlete, more of a two-way player, which will earn him more opportunities in the long run. Uh, and as mentioned, uh, on his team roster, he has a clear path to opportunity. Yeah, in seasonal leagues, we like Hooper. In Dynasty, you can absolutely make the case for George Kittle. Final question, Rich. Save this for the end because it's a very difficult question. It is. And I've already received criticism in my DMs from your colleague, Evan Silva, about my oh, really? gleeful recent criticism of this player. Have you ever been in a situation where you were uncomfortable or things were falling apart around you and you felt helpless and the only thing you could do at that point was laugh? Yeah, pretty much every every week fans football. <laughs> I, 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 thank, thank you. We were, that was a Top Gun volleyball situation where I set that one up and you spiked it all. So we felt that feeling wash over us, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the feeling that's been washing over me watching Amari Cooper play football. Because I've loved Amari Cooper since he was a freshman at Alabama. I drafted Amari Cooper in the second round of the FFPC, the only high-stakes league that I'm participating in this year. I want Amari Cooper to do well. I need Amari Cooper to do well. I'm an Amari Cooper fan. But the inefficiency we've seen from Amari Cooper is comical. Based on the volume he's received through the first five weeks... 
Only Greg Little in the last 10 years has been less efficient with the same target share. And that stat was provided by you. You came up with that stat. And so now I have nothing left to do but just laugh at the ridiculousness of Amari Cooper's 2017 implosion. I mean, what am I going to do, Evan? Evan wants me to go out there running up the hill, waving five flags, just planting them everywhere I can, shouting from the top of the ridge by Amari Cooper. He wants me to go out there and submit godfather offers across the Dynasty League landscape to get Amari Cooper on my Dynasty League team. He wants me to have blind faith in Amari Cooper's ability in the face of shocking inefficiency that I've never seen from a wide receiver with his prospect profile and his pedigree. I don't know what to make of Amari Cooper. I am shell-shocked. I don't know what to make of him. And all I'm doing at this point is sitting down, laughing at how bad he's been publicly, I would admit, while quietly hoping for any glimmer, any ray of sunshine in the box score that provides a signal that Amari Cooper may be turning his career around, that the first few weeks of the season may have been an anomaly. That's all I'm looking for. I, anything, just give me something anything anything to hold on to and i'm happy to run off to the extreme and start waving the flags again and open the windows and let the sunshine in and living life again i want to be happy and i want amari cooper to be happy and i want everyone that has amari cooper on their fantasy team to be happy i want nothing more than for this to be so but until i see a glimmer until the sun shines through the clouds just a little bit do you blame me rich that i'm hesitant that right now i'm paralyzed sitting at my chair not knowing what the hell to make of amari cooper yeah i mean he's he's a reason why i mean many were never in on his adp the past two years because all these things came to fruition you know a volatile player you know doesn't score touchdowns uh while michael crabtree was three rounds you know after him in adp it's why a lot of us were drafting michael crabtree now this isn't i'm I'm not going to turn this into shit on amari no, I love your instincts here. I love that you turned this into a Michael Crabtree told you so segment. That's beautiful in true Roto Underworld Radio fashion. Well, there's an element of that that absolutely is true, though. Uh, I mean, Amari Cooper was just a never guy, never guy I was investing draft cost in. But Amari Cooper in some spots is a guy I will be more than happy to pick up on rosters now at this point. But I don't think it's as binary as buy, sell Amari Cooper. I think it's very context sensitive. I don't think that every specific team can just go and, and take Amari Cooper on. Um, you need to take him on in spots where you, don't, one, don't need him right now, and you can widen this out a little bit just to see where it goes. Two, where you invest, your your level investment is small. Like We talked about those guys that selling earlier. Uh, a Duke Johnson, for example, like we talked about on the show. Would you trade Duke Johnson for Amari Cooper? I think I might. I think I might. He's kind of a fringe bench guy, like a like a flex guy. I would absolutely do that. I mean, those are the types of guys you take now and you move for Amari Cooper. Like those are the kind of guys, and you can probably get them. You can probably you can, that's probably all it takes. I can kind of make a semi excuse for Amari Cooper. I'm not going to give him a clean out because he's played horribly. I mean, he's played so bad. Yeah, I mean, he scored the first drive of the of the season, and then since then it's been horrible. Last three weeks, four catches, 23 yards total. Uh, He's played through a knee injury. 
he has had a pretty a pretty brutal romp here. He played against Morris Claiborne in week three, who has been far better than I think anyone expected Morris Claiborne to be. Last week, he played against the Baltimore team that shut down Antonio Brown and shut down A.J. Green. Jimmy Smith's a top five cornerback right now. The week before, he played against Denver, who he historically has never been good against and no one has, and Josh Norton. So I can give him a little bit of an out and say that we might look back at this past month and say, that was as bad as it possibly could have been, but he's still the type of talent that we expect to give more fungible lines than this. Four for 23 over the past three, and, and no matter how hard the matchup, like, listen, Mike Evans has had a brutal schedule, but he's given us lines. Like, we we're, were able to put him in the lineup still. Like, Mike Evans has had a horrible schedule, but he's getting the five for 70s. He's getting the six for 60s, uh, you know, the something we can hang our hat on. The four for 23s over three games total, that's... That's, I mean, that's bad. Like, it's there's no way to cut around that. I mean, even even if you want to play the schedule card, um, but I mean, yeah. So I mean, I'm still willing to take him on to see if it gets better because I don't know where like the where these people have come out of the woodwork that said like Amari. Even I, I was never drafting Amari Cooper and paying the redraft cost. But where are these like dynasty folks that are coming out and saying "told you so" three years after the fact after a guy at age 21 and 22 has gone for 80 yards, 80 receptions, and 1,000 yards in each of those two seasons? Uh, imagine telling the dude that took Laquan Treadwell at 102 in his draft that you told you so on Amari Cooper that your 102 sucks now. Your 102 pick sucks. Imagine telling that guy that's got an 80 80 receptions and a thousand yards and before a guy turned 23. Uh, you know, imagine being that Laquan Treadwell guy and trying to point a finger to someone. Imagine being a guy that took Bishop Sankey. Imagine being a guy that took Ryan Matthews at 101 in his draft. All these litany of players that have been terrible uh, of rookies that you used your 101 or 102 on. Amari Cooper has done nothing but hammer your 102 rookie pick. Give you could given you but nothing but ultimate return on value for that pick compared to what rookies have done historically uh, in, in dynasty drafts. And you know what? You know how you got that 102? Because your team sucked in the first place. So you got a guy that had 80 catches and 1,000 yards for two years, and the only reason you awarded that pick is because your team was bad in the first place. Or you got him at 103, Rich, because the guy ahead of you drafted Kevin White. And you're mad? You're going to be mad over that? You're going to be mad because your team that sucked fell into a guy at 102 that has given you nothing but, you know, return on value for that? You know, so sorry you got this free gift given to you. You know, you know, run back to your house, man. You know, get out of here with that shit. Like, where are these people coming with it? Mari Cooper is like, I told you so, three years after the fact. Like, the problem with Amari Cooper is what we've seen manifest. The worry was that he never was going to be a true alpha fantasy receiver, like a guy that was going to be able to score 15, 12 to 15 touchdowns year in and year out, a guy that was going to win in consistent clashing battles, was going to have high touchdown upside. That was what we were worried about. We were worried about that keeping Amari Cooper from elevating to the ceiling that he was put at uh, in terms of ADP, and that's what's manifested. He might not ever be that guy. I don't really think he will be either. But to say that he was never a clean prospect and has like this ultimate downside of like a dynasty career going forward is absolutely asinine to say. Like it's it's just crazy to me to think. And I don't even really like Mark Cooper. Me waving the, like coming to defense of Mark Cooper was the, was the last thing I ever, expect, ever expected to do in the 2017 fantasy football season. So trade Duke Johnson for Amari Cooper in redraft. Absolutely trade movable assets in Dynasty to get Amari Cooper if you can. If you can find a prisoner of the moment in your Dynasty League who lucked into drafting one of the cleanest wide receiver prospects we've ever seen with an early round pick, and at this point, at the absolute bottom, the darkest it could possibly get before the dawn, 
If that individual wants to sell Amari Cooper here, right here, right now, push the button. That individual wants to sell Amari Cooper here, right here, right now. Push the button. Yeah, I'm all for it. I, try, I did try to trade him myself last night in the league for Odell Beckham, and it was shot down. It was a good try. I figured, hey, man, why not? <laughs> <laughs> good try. Good try. Good try. That's a good college try. That's a good one. I like that. You're one of these guys that can't really dunk. But at the end of practice, you're, you could always, you know you always give it a couple of shots just in case. Got a little extra juice that day. You tried. You went for the dunk. It didn't work. It's fine. You're gonna, you're gonna go shower. Show's over, buddy. Show is over. We had a good clean show. It was a good way to end it. I, that one took. A, it was a lot of energy. I'm not gonna end the fucking show with George Kittle. Are you kidding me? I mean, the, I mean, the Amari Cooper thing, man, it's, it's just not a binary answer. It's just interesting. Yeah, the, the real answer with Amari Cooper is maybe. He's a maybe Cooper. Maybe. A maybe Cooper. We need to get some, uh, yeah, Arrested Development uh, gifts going uh, with maybe and we, maybe Cooper. I love it, dude. Evan, Silva, if you're listening, I will absolutely plant my flag on the a maybe Cooper nickname. That's where I'll plant my flag. How about that? In the face of this headwind. Evan wants me to walk into a tornado and plant my flag in the eye of a tornado with Amari Cooper right now. That's not going to happen, man. That's not going to happen. Yeah, he's telling me to stand my ground. There's an orcish army headed right for me. I'm pissing my pants, Evan. Right, right. <laughs> yes, this is two guys having a drink in a bar talking sports. Sports. Because when they said, oh, you can do teleprompter, I was like, oh, I would love to do teleprompter. Thank you. That would be great. Then I don't have to worry about, like, the words. <laughs> right? I... Yeah, the goose and I were interacting quite a bit. It was pretty fun. The goose was loose. Guys, like, what's up with this year, man? We used your Target X metric and called it Target Premium, right? and made it like widely available you and i talked about how cool that was like since when is this a problem even when you approached me with that i just but my answer was like dude i don't fucking own math there's a lot of smart people in the community now and it is not unfathomable when we're talking about basic math for people to arrive at the same fucking spot on a lot of this stuff like when you know there's only so many stats we have, and when you're dividing this stat by this stat, or you know, taking this stat, like it's not hard to see like where multiple avenues where minds can arrive. To this no one's fucking found like the theory of relativity here. Like, I mean, all this stuff exists, man. It's it's out here. Like, no one owns math, and it's not even hard math that people are doing. Now, sadly, it's not that hard. We're known as a place that is like a, a repository for a lot of stuff. I was just um, waiting for someone to get mad about it. At some point, I knew it was going to happen. This has been the year of that. There's always the, the years of things. No, I don't listen to any football podcasts. I mean, no offense. It's tough to consume all that, man. It's really hard to consume it all. I mean, you can go insane. 
I got so many teams and every play helps or hurts me somewhere. So I don't look at pull up any scores or anything. I just I just take it in. That's the best. That's the best. Every play helps me. <laughs> every play helps and hurts me somewhere. Like so who gives a shit? Like why hang on every why hang on every moment? It's a job. You can't really control how much you consume to optimize enjoyment. That's that's what you do with hobbies. I always have that step step away from my body a little bit and be like, don't forget how cool this is, what, what's going on. Yep. Roto World's blurbs on football have an attention to detail and a comprehensiveness that the other sports just cannot compete with. It's not shallow, and it's such good writing. You have so many good writers. You have great craftsmanship, the turns of phrases. Once you dabble in other news sources, you're like, nah, nah, this is why I like Roto World. Nelson Aguilar has risen from the dead. Literally, was in a coffin. Dirt was scooped and spread over the top of the coffin, and he's back, and he looks good. For years, Jarek McKinnon was never expensive in Dynasty Leagues or Redraft Leagues or any format. So get out of here calling him Kristen Michael. Let that run its course through your brain. Imagine caring about a dude's uh, like hearts or retweets. Like, who gives a shit? Stop giving the ball to Rob Kelly and Jonathan Stewart and Jordan Howard and Isaiah Crowell. I mean, the team is going to be playing with house money the rest of the season. They've already won. They've already won. It's like me hitting on Aaron Jones and hitting on Jarek McKinnon. I've already won, Rich. I don't have to play another game the rest of the season. I can take all my rankings down. We can close player profiler. I've won. The Rams have already won. You ready? Let's do it. I wasn't ready. Hold on. <laughs> Rich drops the stats in your face. Like, as I lay all that out and say you kind of want to be in a holding pattern, like, I would play Piran as RB2 this week. I would feel all right with it. Wow. Okay. We might have to update our projections. It's rare that I do this because our projections are very clinical, but I was struggling with the Rob Kelly versus Samaje Piran projection, and I just split it down the middle. And Oh, he's not going to play, probably. Is Rob Kelly out? Oh, 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 my God. But canceling all this, God, thank God we can edit, thank God we can edit these podcasts. None of this is making it into the show. I look like an idiot. I mean, they allowed 122 yards to Jay Ajayi for crying out loud. <laughs> that might be the funniest one of all. <laughs> that was while they had a Coke addict as their offensive line coach. I'm, 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 I've lost my, I lost where I was in the show sheet. You could tell, you could tell my brain was buffering there. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I was like, look at my notes and in the show sheet. That was a Top Gun volleyball situation where I set that one up and you spiked it home. But until I see a glimmer, until the sun shines through the clouds, just a little bit, do you blame me, Rich, that I'm hesitant, that right now I'm paralyzed, sitting at my chair, not knowing what the hell to make of Amari Cooper? I mean, they allowed 122 yards to Jay Ajayi for crying out loud. Oh, oh. <laughs>